All right, I thought what we'd do is uh, go through the New Testament the same way we're going through the Old, and we'll be able to cover more ground this way, of course. And so we're going to start today in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, and so today will just be an introduction of the book and uh, you know a general overview. And uh, let's go ahead and get started by a word of prayer. Father, again, we thank you that we can come to your word and be guided by it. Help us uh, draw out those things from the Gospel of Matthew that you would have us understand, uh, that we might see uh, following Christ in a different way than perhaps we did before, and understand that following Christ is, is truly following him, not just in word, but also in deed. Uh, Father, those of us who have given our lives to Christ, let there be fruit then that comes forth from it. Rather than simply a claim that we have repented, let us actually see the fruit of repentance that is consistent with it. Uh, we thank you again for this gospel, and I pray now that it, it really uh, uh, convicts us to uh, be reconciled to your people and to understand that it is those who are in Christ who are true Israel and truly your people, and, and not to get hung up on things that are outside of Christ. We thank you for these things and ask that you be glorified now in them in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, the Gospel of Matthew is, you, you might think, I think a lot of people when they approach the Gospels just think that they're stories of the life of Jesus and that's it. That's all the purpose is. And in reality, what they are is they're really theological presentations of Christ and his teaching. And uh, the Synoptic Gospels in general are, are theological presentations of what it means to be a disciple of Christ. That is, what, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it actually look like? As opposed to maybe the Gospel of John, which stands on its own and really is uh, a presentation of who Jesus is and the gospel, and what he did, and how to then uh, follow Jesus. That is, how to actually be connected to Christ, well, to believe on him, and to be saved, and things of that nature. And so that's why people often present the gospel of John as the gospel that you maybe give to someone on the street for evangelism, because it's introducing people to who Christ is, and what he has done to save them. Um, the synoptics are a little different, because they're really presupposing that you follow Christ, or at least that you, you, uh, you have a confession that you follow Christ, and they're written then to the believing community. That is, they're written to the church to say, not just here's who Jesus is, and uh, here's how you believe on him, and here's, here's how you're, you're saved, but in rather uh, showing what it means to follow Christ and therefore what it also means to not follow Christ, what it looks like when you don't follow Christ versus what it looks like when you do. And so the Gospel of Matthew starts out in a very unique way in that you, you suddenly have this genealogy of Jesus at the very beginning. Now, you're going to have a genealogy in Luke, but Luke's genealogy actually comes a little bit later than the rest of the beginning narrative. In Matthew, it starts off right away. And we'll discuss why that is, but you have a genealogy that, that essentially is uh, showing that Christ is from Abraham. Luke's genealogy is from Adam, and it's for a different purpose, maybe even through a different line. Some people argue that, you know, once through Mary, once through Luke, you know, whatever it may be. But there's clearly a different purpose in it. Matthew's is just trying to point out that Jesus is actually the Jewish Messiah, 
and therefore he's from Abraham and in the line of David. Uh, immediately after this, then you get the virgin birth story, which shows that, again, he's the prophesied Emmanuel, that is God with us. So he, he is the one, he is Israel's Messiah, uh, his, uh, its messianic king. In contrast, then, the very, very next episode is going to be about Herod trying to kill him um, and trying to kill them off. Herod, who is actually not Jewish, but, but Edomian, and so uh, he's essentially an, you know, an Edomite and, uh, and not the real king, even though he's, he's called the king of the Jews. And then you have these stories, and of course, Christ is in the wilderness. He comes out of Egypt, and then he's in the wilderness, and he's tempted in the wilderness, and he comes up through the waters like Israel comes up through the waters. And you get the, the point that Matthew is trying to make is that Jesus ultimately is the fulfillment of Israel. Where Israel failed, Jesus did not fail. He's true Israel. And since he's true Israel, he's the true image of God. Going back all, you know, getting all of this theology from the Old Testament that we've been talking about so far. And because he is, you must be connected to him to really be a person of God. Now, why is Matthew starting out this way? You know, in, in Jesus' story, you have the, the wise men come, uh, the, the, the Gentiles. And there's nothing about shepherds like in Luke's, Luke's uh, story. Well, well, why not? Why, why are these Gentiles being mentioned? And why is he being contrasted with this Jewish king who's not really Jewish? Uh, that is Herod. Well, ultimately, Matthew's trying to show that it's by being connected to Jesus Christ that you are a true, full-fledged follower of God, that you belong to Israel, and therefore you are a true Jew by being connected to Christ, as opposed to being Jewish by simply doing Jewish cleanliness rituals or um, being accepted by the Jewish community, which Matthew will present as being hostile not only to Christ, but to the disciples. And so Matthew is going to make the argument that essentially to be true Israel is to be connected to Jesus Christ. Now, why is he making this argument? Here's the real, uh, the real point that Matthew is trying to make. Matthew is writing to probably a Jewish community, uh, a heavily Jewish uh, Christian community, where the leaders in that community are likely Jewish and they're shunning a lot of the Gentile believers because Gentiles are still seen as unclean by them. They're also shunning other Jews who have understood the gospel well and are still eating with Gentiles and all of that. And so those Jews are being slandered by these Jewish leaders. They're being put out by these Jewish leaders. Uh, the Gentiles are being hated by these Jewish leaders and, and maybe other Jewish Christians in this community. And what Matthew begins to write then is to argue that you're Jewish when you're connected to Jesus, and therefore whatever you do to even the least of these brothers of mine, referring to whether they are Jews that you don't think are of any significance or Gentile Christians or whatever that you think are dirty, you've actually done it to me. And this is going to be a recurring theme in Matthew. Uh, along those same lines, we get a parable in Matthew that we don't get anywhere else. And this is important because if you really want to know what a gospel is about, look at the uniqueness of the parables. Look at the uniqueness of what's said. Um, we'll look at the, uh, the uh, Lord's Prayer 
in a little bit and what Matthew draws out of that as opposed to what Luke may draw out of it. And you start to see, well, this is the purpose of this specific gospel then. And you see then this parable in chapter 20 of these workers that are hired uh, by a landowner. And some of them come at the beginning of the day and some of them come at the end of the day and all that sort of thing. Um, But you start seeing that the, the reward is given to both equally. And uh, the ones who had been with the landowner all day complain about this. They're like, hey, what is this? Uh, We've worked all day. And you're giving the same thing to those who came late. Now, it's very clear that those who worked all day were Israel, the Jews, who actually had been God's people the whole time, as opposed to the Gentiles who had lived pagan lives, did not know God, and came to him lately. And the landowner says, look, I haven't defrauded you. I gave you what I promised you. I'm just, it's my money. And I'm going to give to these the same thing I promised you. What business is it of yours? And in that parable, it's trying to, and this is in the context of, of course, Christ rebuking Israel and rebuking the Jews and talking about giving uh, the kingdom to people who are going to produce the fruit of it and all of that. Um. It's very clear that the point is, is that the Gentiles receive the same reward that you do. Who are you to be shunning them? Who are you to consider them as secondary citizens of the kingdom? Uh, they are, even if you consider them the least of these brothers of mine, they're still brothers of mine. They're still connected to me. They're still my people. And what you do to them, you do to me. And so you get at the end of the, the uh, Olivet Discourse, a commentary that you don't get in really the other uh, text, which is uh, you need to stay awake and be alert. And that is, you need to actually um, live in accordance to what Christ has commanded you because you don't know when he's going to return. And if he returns and finds you beating your fellow servants, mistreating them, uh, he's going to cut you into pieces and throw you out. In other words, you may be proving by the way you treat other Christians as to whether you're actually a Christian and Christ is going to toss you out. And so you get the same thing in the judgment scene where you've got the sheep and the goats. Sheep and goats, of course, in Matthew are not talking about the world versus the church. It's actually the church. Uh, The visible church are set before him, but the sheep are the ones who took care of him by taking care of his people, even the least of these brothers of mine, uh, Gentiles, Jews, whoever they may be, Versus the goats who don't, for whatever excuses, maybe because they needed to remain clean ritually or whatever. Jesus doesn't care about that. So throughout the gospel, you're going to have this commentary that what Christ really cares about is how you treat one another, uh, whether it be your wives, your children, fellow people in the covenant community. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, you're going to get a lot about how you are to treat one another, how you're not to... um, call each other names or slander one another, how you're not to divorce your wives, this is wicked, Um, how you're to take care of one another and not make excuses that you need to hoard your money for various reasons, not to condemn one another for these these unrighteous reasons, these these, uh, acting as though that somehow these Christians are more sinful than you are or judging them for things that aren't even sin. And so you're going to have a lot of this in the sermon, but the big point of the sermon is that if, if you have sinned against your brother in some way, you're to seek reconciliation. 
And so in the Lord's Prayer, in the sermon, you, the, the end result, what, what's drawn out by Matthew of the Lord's Prayer is in fact the idea that you are to forgive. And if you don't forgive, your Father in Heaven will not forgive you. So this is said earlier on that if you have a sacrifice, if you're coming to worship God in some way, and you remember that, that you have an issue with your brother, that someone in the covenant community that you have an issue with, don't bother coming to worship God. Make amends first, reconcile first, then come and worship God. Then again, the repetition in the Lord's Prayer that if you don't forgive, then your Father will not forgive you. Uh, later on, we're going to have a whole parable of the wicked servant who has forgiven his whole debt, and then he goes out and strangles someone else saying, pay back what you owe. And, and uh, the king takes him, throws him in prison until he pays back every cent. And the conclusion of that parable is, if you do, uh, so will your heavenly father do to you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And then we also have the teaching of uh, the fact of how do, you, how do you deal with a brother who sinned against you? Well, you go to him and, and you ask him to repent. And if he doesn't, then you bring along other people and you go through church discipline because it's about reconciliation. And so what Matthew wants to argue is that since Jesus is the center and Jesus is the foundation for what makes us the people of God, then our ethnic and religious identities, what the Jews had thought or even the Gentiles had thought was clean and unclean and all of that, all of that goes out the window. And so in Matthew, you're going to have a statement by Christ that I did not come to abolish the law. But what he means by that is the moral law and how you treat one another, how you love God and love one another. And that's going to be stated in Matthew as well. He's not talking about the ritual law, which clearly he is actually abolishing in Matthew. He, he calls all foods clean, and we'll talk about that when we get there. A lot of people try to get around that, act like it's not, but it is. Um, he rebukes the Pharisees for their, their cleanliness laws that they have, uh, the rituals, the Sabbath law, all of that, um, because that's going to be ritual law that might be getting in the way of considering one another on equal terms as brothers and sisters in Christ and, and causing division. And so, and so Christ is going to hit against that. Matthew is going to bring in all those. But ultimately, it's, Matthew is going to be about fruit. That is, if you're truly a disciple of Christ, you're going to bear fruit that's consistent with your claim that you've repented. And so in Matthew, you have this statement by John the Baptist being made to the Jews that uh, if you have really repented, let's see the fruit of it. That's consistent with it. And then, of course, later on in, in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7, you're going to have these people come to Christ saying, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name and, and, uh, and all these great things in your name? And Christ will say, depart from me. I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. And what does he mean by lawlessness? He means the mistreatment of other Christians either by calling them names or mistreatment of your spouse, who's a Christian in the covenant community, mistreatment of children who's in the co who are in the covenant community, he makes a statement later that if you make one of these little ones, these little children to stumble, that is that you cause them to sin in some way, 
Um, it's better for you to wrap a millstone around your neck and cast yourself into the deepest sea. In other words, horrifically kill yourself instead of make them sin. That's how important it is that you don't sin against other people, how unloving it is to sin against them and that you should not be unloving toward them. And so the idea is simply that the fruit, there's a lot about fruit here, that the fruit of those who follow Christ means that they follow the moral law, they do what is just and right and good and chesed, loving and, and merciful and everything, taking care of one another in the covenant community. So that you have this inclusio and created from the uh, Sermon on the Mount where Christ says, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And then the sheep and goats judgment and the, and, and the parable before that with the virgins where he shuts the door and says, I don't know you. Um, and, and the parable, of, the, of course, the sheep and goats, uh, goats judgment where he says, uh, d- depart from me. Uh, you were cursed uh, because I was naked and you did not clothe me and I was hungry and you did not feed me and, and all of that. So it's showing that the entirety of the moral law, that is what is just and what is chesed, the taking care of, of Christians, the taking care of the poor, which is also part of justice as well, of course, um, is required by disciples of Jesus Christ. And those who have repented and been saved will bear that fruit. And those who have not truly been saved, but they're in the covenant community, uh, they won't. And so in Matthew, you're, you're going to have a lot of variations of believers. It's not just believer and unbeliever. Those aren't the two categories in Matthew. There are unbelievers in Matthew. There are believers in Matthew. But there are different kinds of believers in Matthew. Some of them believe and they're like, this is great, but they don't actually repent and bear fruit. Uh, Christ will have, of course, the parable of the soils, where he talks about the different gradations of people who supposedly believe, they supposedly follow Christ. And only one of those groups actually bears fruit, the rest don't. And in Matthew, when you don't bear fruit, it's not just that you're a Christian that doesn't have fruit, it's that you're not a Christian. It's that you're going to be judged in the end, you're going to be thrown into prison, you're going to be assigned a place with the unbelievers, you're, you're going to get the statement, depart from me, I never knew you. And so Matthew wants to communicate that you better be reconciled from your heart, from your mind, in your thoughts, not just fake reconciliation, real reconciliation with one another because with everyone who is in Jesus Christ, the true Israel, or you're not true Israel. You're not really a person of God. You're just some religious person who likes the stuff that Jesus said and likes being a part of the church, but you're not actually saved. And so Matthew is going to convict us. This is going to be a big thing because of this this big controversy going on between Jews and Gentiles. And look, it may not be the same reasons why we have rivalries in the church, may not be the same reason why you slander someone in the church or uh, you're going to like uh, treat your spouse poorly or whatever it may be. But it's real important for us to understand the message of Matthew because it's the first book of the New Testament that comes to us in this form. And it has been for, for quite some time, at least for the Western world, um, if, not the whole, if not the entire history, that tells us, hey, you know what? Before you even read this New Testament, let, let, get through Matthew first. 
Before you ever read through this, uh, you should probably know this is what Christ requires of his people. And if you're not willing to do that because you don't like some Christians here and you don't want to reconcile and you can't humble yourself to ask for forgiveness and you, you actually are too stubborn to actually give forgiveness, then don't bother coming. Don't bother taking upon the name of Christ. You're not going to belong to him. You don't belong to him. And if you're not willing to actually give your all to him, then again, just eat, drink, be merry, because tomorrow is your judgment. And so Matthew has, I think it's one of the most profound books in the New Testament that is widely not understood when it's read. And, um, and I think, unfortunately, for the church today, it, we tend to go into antinomian uh, uh, theology because we don't understand that, no, we're actually required to follow the whole point of what the law was, which is to love the Lord your God with everything you've got and to love one another as, your, as yourself. Um, and if you don't get those, what they actually look like, because again, it's not in feelings, it's in the fruit that you have, then you're not really a Christian and you've never really been a Christian. You've been lying to yourself. Someone's been lying to you because you've been mistreating other believers unrepentantly. And that shows that you actually don't understand Christianity at all. So uh, there's, there's a lot in Matthew. Matthew's going to present Christ, you know, uh, again, as the Israel. Of course, Sermon on the Mount is going to be the same thing. Moses gives the law from the mountain. Jesus is going to give the law from the mountain. But he's going to interpret the law correctly against rabbinic tradition that has basically made it okay to mistreat fellow people in the covenant community uh, as long as you hold on to a bunch of rituals and clean yourself that way. And Jesus is like, no, that's... That's not the law, certainly not the prophets, uh, who would actually be completely against that idea that you replace morality and love with, with uh, sacrifice and incense and garbage like that. Um, so Matthew's going to com- communicate all this to us. I, I, I hope you join us for the book as we go through it. But it should be an exciting book, a very convicting book for the evangelical culture. And, uh, and for, even for our church, a good reminder, even though we've been through the book before, Um, I think it's helpful for us to go through it again. Of course, it will end, Matthew will end with the Great Commission because, of course, if the way to become a person of God is through Jesus Christ and his teaching, uh, then it's not about being Jewish and now you can go into all the nations uh, because Christ has claimed all of them. He has authority over all of them and he is the Lord and Messiah of everyone, not just of the Jews, but also of the Gentiles. Let's go ahead and bow now in a word of prayer. Father, again, we thank you for this great book, and we're excited to go through it. It has uh, so much, so much to say to us uh, that is largely ignored by the church. The church has really a secondary canon, uh, a canon within a canon that it stays to. It just uh, will stay in like Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and it'll just... uh, stay in certain parts of the Gospel of John, and it'll just ignore pretty much everything else. Some, some of Paul, but, but it'll ignore this call to holiness, this call to bearing fruit uh, that is love of your covenant community because it doesn't want to love uh, fellow Christians in the way that you've called us to. It, it, it doesn't have time for it. it. It doesn't want to humble itself to do it. It doesn't want to 
really lose uh, face, which it would if it has to reconcile. And so, Lord, I pray that you convict us as we go through this book to not be like those false believers who refuse to love in the way that you've called us to love. And, uh, and that love looks like something. It looks very much like the morality of the law, the justice of the law, and the chesed, the mercy that you've shown uh, to your people throughout the Bible. Lord, again, we ask that you might be glorified in this study. Uh, illumine us as we go through it. Enlighten us to how we should apply it. And uh, help us to be people who bear fruit that is consistent with repentance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.